Uh, good morning. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. Now there are some people seated with an advertisement saying, I am not ashamed. I'm also here to tell you that I'm not ashamed to tell you that I'm scared of the cold. And those past two days, I have some people, have, I'm told, give my wife some advice to keep me warm. <laughs> One included wrapping me up with electrical wire. <laughs> I ain't telling you that was coming from Brother Charlie, but um, some other people said some other things about how many blankets I might need. But God <laughs> is still alive. <laughs> How many of you were born on a family island, other than, yeah? Let me ask the other question. How many of you were not born in a hospital? Were not? Now, some of you may not have been there when you were born, so you wouldn't know. <laughs> but but if, how many of you, you had a midwife um, who was told, what is a midwife? There, forget it. And yet you are here, so the midwife must have done a good job. <laughs> well, would you now pause with me as we go to the Lord, as we, we focus and look at his word today and see what it is he wants to share with us today. Please pray with me. Our Father, almighty God, we are here today simply because of your grace. We recognize that and we have so much to thank you for. You are indeed our a strong tower. You are indeed our shield. You are our sustainer. You are our strength. We have none, no strength without you. You are the source of every blessing that we have. And yet, Lord, we are so humbled by the fact that despite our inadequacies, our failures before you, you choose to use us. This is amazing. This is beyond our comprehension. And so we are humbled and grateful that you use us. You use me defective as I am. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to share your word with your people. We ask your blessing on it now. In Jesus' name, amen. The insert in your bulletin says, the symptoms of death in the body. What is the causes of death? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Could it be that those in your pew are dying? How can you be certain? You need to check for their vital signs. Two, four, two. Now, like Peter, I... Well, you remember Peter and John were going to the temple in the book of Acts, chapter 3. They met this lame man, and he was begging, and he asked Peter and John, give me some money. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. Well, like Peter, silver and honey, tongue, have I none? No soothing or 
flattering speech to dispel the prejudices uh, or to captivate your passion this morning, nor do I have a loud voice of thunder, nor will you hear any outburst of native eloquence to distinguish my sharing with you this morning. Indeed, some of you might consider me long-winded, long-legged, <laughs> dry and boring, as some have not hesitated to tell me in the past. <laughs> Yet there might be some here this morning who may tolerate me simply because I have tickled their fancies or maybe because I didn't step on their corn or maybe because I didn't challenge them to think or to change their attitudes or their behavior. This morning I want to focus on the fact that yes, there are symptoms of sickness that might exist in the body, both your physical body, but also the body of Christ at large. According to the World Health Organization, the leading cause of death in the world is ischemic heart disease, or what we refer to as heart disease, cancer, stroke, and chronic obstruction of the pulmonary disease, which you hear on TV called COPD. These were the leading causes of death in the world today. It is generally accepted that there are four categories of death. There's natural causes where people just, you say, grow old and die. You just wear out. Maybe there are other mitigating medical factors. And like we just mentioned, heart attack, stroke, kidney disease, etc. The other category of death is homicide, premeditated, taking the life of another's life, or someone else's life. That's homicide. Suicide is a deliberate taking of one's own life. And then the fourth category is just accidental death. And that means other than those that are considered natural, homicidal, or suicidal. It was a Sunday evening in 2002 while driving my mom home from church, a church event that my dad died. The pathologist's official autopsy report that my dad died from a sudden or massive, massive cardiac infarction, simply put again, a heart attack. What does the divine pathologist, God himself, has to say about the cause of death to the body? God, as I'm sure you will agree with me with, God is still alive, isn't he? Because you are connected to him, did he not give you eternal life? We as his local representative here in this location at this moment as a believer in Christ should reflect that life. And yet we know that there's a possibility that some of us might be sick. 
When that happens, if there is no intervention, if there is no touch from the great physician, the possibility is that you will die. You will get progressively worse. In other words, the death march has begun. First, I call it a slow erosion. I want to focus on scripture of Haggai. Now, let me tell you, in, in Andros, we used to call this, yeah, and I, I said that intentionally, Haggai. When you look at the spelling, you know Haggai. But that's how we call it on that place where I grew up. How do you get Hagi and still get Aya at the end? Anyway, but you can call it Haggai or Haggai. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 and 6 through 9. I just want to read it without much commentary, but let's just read it. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jesodak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies in ruins? Verse 6. You have sown much and have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warmed. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruin, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Calvary Bible Church, we have heard from those stalwarts among us, those who were with us in the past of the beginning of this assembly here, how persons came together, one mind, one hat, one purpose to build this structure so that the people of God, the real church of God, might have a place where they can corporately worship and minister to them and among themselves and beyond. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Verse 12 says, They have lair and harp, tambourine and flute and wine at their feast, but they do not regard deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. I can tell you from just reviewing, and I've only been here at Calvary for approximately 30 years, 
But nonetheless, the story and the legacy is rich. I listened and heard about the story of its growth, and growth may be rapid, but declines in vibrant ministries is slow. Vibrant ministry, decline. Prayer times, decline. Outward focus, decline. Connection with the community, decline. Hopes, dreams, and those who remain are usually slow, almost undetectable, imperceptible, very, very slow. This is, of course, most dangerous because members have no sense of urgency to change. It's almost like a heart attack. It was slow. My dad did not know. It was earlier in 1985. He was a carpenter working on a scaffold outside of a building, and he fell. That was his initial, I guess, indication that he had a heart attack. He did not know that until he was taken to the doctor. Then they told him that you had a heart attack. And having examined him, he needed to have more radical surgery. But he could not tell from day to day that he was going to have a heart attack. It's almost similar to a stroke. The conditions are under the radar, as it were, yet it had a detrimental effect eventually on him. And so, over a period of time, there is a slow erosion from those early days of Calvary Bible in terms of his involvement and the people's involvement. And so from one individual, one part of the body, just stepping back, declining, your prayer life has decreased, your involvement in ministry has decreased, one at a time, almost imperceptibly slow. I miss you from among us one Sunday. Maybe you were traveling, we think, then maybe two, but then maybe they have an extended vacation. Maybe three, maybe they're just recuperating from all of that vacation. And then you miss them for a month, and their involvement in a particular ministry, their involvement with our corporate prayer has declined. We need to pay attention to that. It's a sign of sickness. How do we know? Again, I reiterate, their involvement, vibrant ministries have declined. Their prayer lives have diminished. Their focus on others, outward focus, has declined. Now it is turned inwardly. They're only thinking about themselves. Their connection with the community has declined. That is the first indication that you may be sick if you find yourself in one of those areas I've just mentioned. Your involvement with ministry, your prayer, your prayer life, your connection with the community, and your focus on others. You may be dying. Secondly, you are dying, possibly dying and very sick, if the past is your hero. Now, hero is generally a good word. Hero is a good word. The policeman, for example, should be our hero. The fireman is our hero. Those in the medical field, you know, there are some people who say, I can't stand blood. 
But there are some people in the medical field, that's when they need it most. I need you to get in there. And they can handle it. They, they are our heroes. So it is usually a good word. Because these people continue to do remarkable and courageous things. Things noteworthy. Hebrews chapter 11, we know, is considered to be the, well, the hall of fame of faith. Chapter 11, verse 13 says, These all die in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Isn't that amazing? Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They saw themselves as foreigners of this land and life, temporary residents of earth, those who hold the past as their hero, hold on more tightly with each progressive year. When any internal or any external force tries to change the past, they respond in anger and resolution, and some people would even say, we will die before we change. That's the way I is. That's the way I get there. That's how it always was. That's how it always will be. They are not hanging on to any biblical truth, mind you, in particular. It is not something of whether it's a primary doctrine, secondary doctrine, or tertiary doctrine. It's not that deep. They are just fighting for the past. They just like to say it was the good old days. Yes, the good old days. The way things used to be. But I was looking as I read through these men, women of faith, heroes of the faith. What were the good old days for, for Abel? What would he call his good old days? What about Abraham? What would be Abraham's good old days? What about Barack? Not Obama. What about Barack? Good old days. What about David? What would David say was his good old days? What about Enoch? When you sit and chat with him, tell me about the good old days. What would he say was his good old days? What about that girl called Rahab? What about her good old days? What about Samuel? What would be Samuel's good old days? What about your good old days? The stalwarts did not listen in the past. Those who were dissenters, they left. And certainly the death march continues. Death came closer and closer. People got sicker and sicker. Are you, again, are you holding on 
more tightly to the past with each progressive year. You keep saying, boy, just another year, Lord. But those days, I'm good, they were good old days. You're still living in the good old days. Here are some indicators that you are indeed holding on to the past, just in case you don't know. Check your pulse. Are you mad about the music we sing today? Hello. <laughs> hey. Are you concerned about the architecture? Do you know from my scanning through some photographs that the design of this area was different? You know, they, they, they had some things in the front there and some things up here, and some people got upset. Why did they take them down? Because they were holy things. They're more concerned with the architecture. Don't change the architecture. Then do you know at one time when I got you, there were no drums in the corner there. And some people didn't like that because drums make noise. And they didn't want, because God don't like noise, they thought. Because that was worldly. Because the last time they saw drums, it was in the, in the bar, <laughs> in the pub. So when you bring it in the church, that's a problem for some people. Those people are holding on to the past, by the way, indicators. Then when you go and bring this big screen, uh-oh. That's totally well. Going to the movies now? <laughs> what? Holding on to the past. I won't talk about dress. By the way, have you learned what we call appropriate dress? And it's amazing, you know, what is considered to be appropriate. If you talk to some appropriate people, you'll have some different appropriate dress. But if you've seen some photographs of some people dress style from hairstyle to shoe style, you know, and all of that is a part of the dress. Some of you would not fix your hair in the style some people wore in 1962 when we began here. You laugh when you see it because you think it's funny, but that was carrying on back then, <laughs> I must tell you. But that was okay. And even the color combination in terms of what I hear people talk. Now, I'm not ashamed to tell you I was scared of the cold. I'm not going to call any name again because just I want to protect the innocent. But I went to my wife's <clears throat> um, uh, a graduation event, and it was in December. I should have known better, but they said love is blind. And so it was cold. And I never went to no place that cold, so I borrowed my aunt's jacket. Um, you can imagine, she is five, six. I bought <clears throat> a tam and a matching scarf with tam. It was green, light green, I guess they call it olive with white stripe. And um, by the way, the jacket was navy. Um, I had on, I always own a brown sweater. Yeah, so I, uh, no, it was more mustard, mustard. Yeah, so I, I put all of that on, and I was not concerned about color coordination, I must confess. <laughs> I was not told until after the event that somebody who I went to support was embarrassed because <laughs> of how I looked. And just because where I went, the people did not know we had Junkanoo in the bomb. <laughs> But people who are overly concerned about dress are probably dying, so I move on. The third thing, again, to tell that you are sick and possibly dying is maybe because there is a failure to look 
like the community in which you are situated. Socioeconomically, ethnically, racially, by age, look among yourself. It is different than back in 1962 here on Collins Avenue No. 62. I'm here to tell you that the community has changed. I remember when I first came here, the first man that shook my hand as I walked through the door, he had big hands, big, soft, bear-like hands. I ain't calling his name, but his wife was Murdy Lowe. <laughs> okay. I could still remember Scott's handshake, welcoming, uh, welcoming me here. But I also remember across the street, well, someplace in this vicinity, Brother Tillman's mother lived across the street. Yes? Most of this area here on Collins Avenue was a residential area. If you look basically at the architecture around you can tell that. People used to live there, and now they converted into businesses, so it's become very, I guess, commercialized. So fewer people live along, other than Eloise down, Eloise, hi there, Eloise, yes. You know, further down, but there are some other people who lived in this area, this was highly populated when you come, I guess, east of Collins Wall. I remember Collins Wall because my aunt told me that she used to work on the other side of the wall and she was scared of horse and you had to climb over, there's a ladder that had to get over because there's a hole in the wall to get through. And uh, when she saw the horse, yes, let's go on, you all like to hear other people's stuff. Anyway. The church and the community has changed. Look at the faces back then, if you can, in terms of where we began and where we are now. Look at the community around where we now live. Most of the people, I guess, who came and attended Calvary back then didn't live too far from Calvary. They, they, I guess they were the exception, of course, but that has certainly changed. And I think today it is significantly different. People move, and people move slowly. And you know how friends are. When somebody says, look, I found a piece of property, I move out south, east, west. And then somebody says, I found such a, let me go. And they visit it, and eventually these other people say, that's my friend, and they move too. And so then that's where they, very slowly, it didn't all happen next week or the day after. And so while they were not necessarily reaching the residents of the community, and we did. As a matter of fact, we still have a very vibrant ministry in terms of reaching into the community, and that's the important value and legacy, I believe, that Awana has to begin with. But people can tell you, those who have been here, they can tell you about the large Sunday school classes we've had. You know, I mean from the very small to the very big, (laughs) or to the very young, to those who are very mature. That's how things was. People, but people moved on. And again, while they were not reaching the residents of the community, the members were willing to drive back into the community where they once lived, because after all, it was where their church or their church was. But their children, especially their grandchildren, now that's another story. Now that is indeed another matter. There is no such loyalty. Because as your children grow up, they move in another place. And they do not have that loyalty attached to this place we call number 62 Collins Avenue. And so the death march begins. In Philippians chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 4, there's an interesting passage there. And I want to share that with you. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, I want to encourage you in Christ. I want him to touch you again. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, if there is any affection, if there is any sympathy, complete my joy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That is certainly indicative of what we've been hearing from those who've been here from the very beginning. Indeed, they represented it. They not only speak it, it was seen in their attitudes and their lifestyle that they had the same mind, same love, one accord, one mind. And so we are here, the result of that, of their efforts in the past. Do nothing. This is very important. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. I need to read that again. Verse 3, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. The world does not agree with that. As a matter of fact, it says the complete opposite. It must all, everything you do must be about yourself, not other people. Nobody's better than me. You've heard, as I shared with my Sunday school class this morning, you've heard people quote, you know, God called you to be the head, right? And not the tail, praise the Lord. Yes? And everybody can be the head. And I think if you try to visualize that, that's a scary picture. If everybody you see is a head, what a big head, nothing else. Who governing what? Who's controlling what? Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Or if we could put that into practice, how we will instantaneously revolutionize our assembly and our community by extension. Again, we know people come and we have had the reputation as people come first time visitors and I'm glad we have some of them here today and I'm hoping you would have had an opportunity to meet them, you would have met some of our people and by the way, if you didn't feel welcome, please let me know and the people around you, I want to see you on the back afterwards. You know, because we are supposed to be this warm, welcoming assembly. Yes, and let's make sure we maintain that. Because if we become a fortress and people do not feel welcome, I suggest we are sick and probably dying. Something that is almost impossible maybe for the outside world to come in because we have put up an attitude and barrier that says the outsiders are not welcome. If that's the case, we are sick. Yes, we are dying. People in the community, I hope they feel welcome when they come to our assembly. Here's a simple formula. Others first, you live. Me first, death. Most of the members in the dying church will not admit that they are close to those God has called them to reach in the, or to minister to. That is, in a dying church or assembly. They won't admit, they won't reach out, but that's those members who are in a dying assembly. Fourthly, 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Very familiar passage to all of us. I call it the commission omission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you remember when we used to go? When everybody was involved, we had the ambassadors for Christ. There were street meetings. There were classes. And everybody was involved with There were baptisms. We did not have in the early days a formal membership, but people called this is their home, and they demonstrated such by their loyalty, involvement, their giving of their time and their resources. If you have a symptom, it suggests that sickness is in the environment or in the vicinity, and it can ultimately lead to death. Please don't get caught up on the method when we talk about reaching out, but rather focus on the imperative mandate to go. In other words, as you are going, and it implies that you are not stationary, you are always supposed to be moving. You're not to be saved and stuck. Save and move. Obedience to the Great Commission fades very gradually, almost undetectably. The more vocal members usually leave the assembly. The comfortable members remain behind. Just like how when somebody dies on a family island. We used to call it the wake. You sit around, you sing, and you sing sad song. Some people just stay around to see when you can dead. And so they can say, I've been there. I watched them take the last breath. Or I watched... Calvary Bible Church dwindle in its ministry. I was there from the very beginning, and I stayed right to the end, and let's watch. Mm-hmm. What did you do? How involved were you? Well, I, you all remember those two old men who were sitting in the balcony on, on um, the Muppet Show? I, I ain't calling nobody in the balcony, two old men <laughs> in the balcony, but they used to sit over in that corner. Okay. I used to wonder, but all they came to watch the show but all they do is criticize. They criticize everything would happen. Doesn't care whatever Miss Piggy do, whatever happened. They criticize. They don't like nothing. And they pay to go there every day and leave upset. There are some people who maybe come to church every day saying, let me see what they can do. They can make me feel good today. Well, jingle bell. <laughs> what, what did you bring? You know. Well, but that exists. Members want the same results of the past, but aren't willing to expend any effort. No prayer. They ain't praying. They won't offer no sacrifice of their time or their resources. They ain't doing that. But they still want the same good old days. Um, They don't want to do any hard work. You mean I got to go outside? When? I mean, and and, and walk? You mean through the corner, the micro project? When? No, no, that's my day off. Uh, they won't get involved, yet they want the same effect. Mind you, nostalgia 
uh, I think for some, which is a mixed feeling of happiness, sadness, and a longing when recalling a person or place or an event of the past, or just simply the past in general, that's good, generally speaking. But when you apply that to the church, yeah, it's good to remember, but we need to be moving on. That's our mandate as we go. There are a lot of remember whens. Yeah. Do you remember when it was, I guess, a delight for people who can't wait to come together? We are meeting at the church, you know, to fellowship with one another. I, I need to see my brothers and my sisters. And here's the word brothers and sisters. What, did that, what does that suggest to you? You are my brother. You are my sister. I would want to see my brother and my sister. Remember when we prayed together? You remember when we had prayer meeting and there were a lot of people at prayer meetings? You couldn't tell the difference between a regular, particularly the evening service, you know, um, and then all of a sudden the numbers plummeted in terms of the number of persons. Do you remember when we used to play together? Remember when? You know, we did things just hanging around one another, and that way we got to know each other better. You remember when it was ministering together? Just because we're doing this together. Again, back to that common, we had one love, unity, one mind, and we just love serving the Lord, serving one another. Remember when we used to visit with one another more often? You know, now I, here we are. You remember when you actually knew the names of your siblings, you know, when you knew the different people. Remember when you even knew the, where the people lived and what they ate? Yeah, what was their favorite food? Remember when you knew where most people worked? You know, their weekday? Because you spent time with them. I won't give you a quiz, but some people don't know a lot about people in their own pew, where, where they work or what they do. Yet they come every day, smile a while, give you a face of rest, shake hand, and leave. I really don't know you, but you're my brother and my sister. I need to confess, I, I have some niece and nephew, and, and I'm terrible with names, so I confess that before you. But most of my nephews particularly have names and start with J, you know, and I don't remember all of them, and so my... Families laugh at me when they ask me, what's the name of your nephew? Thank you. That's my response. Because I'm thinking, which one of them? Is it Jared? Or is it Jerron? Or is it Justin? Or is it Joseph? Is my niece Jomé? You know? Is it this other one named... Oh boy, hold it. Then there's one name, there's, there's not a J. There's even a J someplace and mix up in that. But then, then, then there is, there is Trevon, you know, there is Shimado. They never had them names like that when I was a boy. It was Tom, Dick, and Harry. I could remember them, but they get these funny silly names. But we don't even know our own siblings. That could be a problem. But look here, let Peter says this, having preached his first message after Pentecost, having told his audience that all the house of Israel, you need to know that God has made him both Lord and Christ, referring to Jesus Christ, the same one whom you crucified. When the audience heard that, the Bible said that their hearts were pricked. 
their hearts, they were pricked to their hearts. Pricked was the only time used in the New Testament. That's the only time that word is used there because they heard something and they said, wow, that was profound. The response was this of the people. What shall we do? Here we are at this point. What shall we do? We have a legacy, a history here in this assembly. We have some amazing uh, men and women of faith on whose shoulders we can stand. But we need to be moving ahead. And if we're sick, we need to get rid of that. We need to be touched because you remember Jesus touched people. Do you remember some people just didn't, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be okay. And they suck him, suck him, not sucky, sucky. They seek him out because they wanted to be healed. It is my prayer that you would want to seek Jesus out. But the response to their question is, what shall we do? Is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And that's our area code, isn't it? 242. Yeah, people walking around, two for two. You know. Where you from? I'm from the 242. Yeah. Well, I want you to look at Acts 242. All right. So bring your axe out. Now, this, I heard this Acts 242 mentioned in another place because somebody is breaking into somebody else's house and somebody shout, bring the axe and bring two of them 42. That's point 42. That sounds dangerous, right, Ambrose? <laughs> okay. Well, here's what it says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and which is the same doctrine of Christ, and which he is indeed the author, and he is the preacher, he is the subject. He is the very substance of which he speaks of pardon and peace, righteousness and salvation by him. I'm here to tell you that Jesus can still touch lives today. Those who were there that first and first audience of Peter's first sermon after Pentecost. They were constant hearers of it. That is the word, ancient word. They continually to attend the ministry of the apostles. So they received it and held fast to the form of the sound doctrine or sound words, retained it. They had received it from the apostles and they stood fast in the faith of the gospel. In other words, they acted on what they heard, notwithstanding all of the reproach that was cast upon it and the afflictions and the persecution that they had to endure. They stood fast. They received it. They retained it. And they acted upon it. The question for us today is, have we been impacted? Have we been overwhelmed with the person of God? Have we, has God so affected you that you became overwhelmed? Yes, we can be overwhelmed with grief and pain in some form or another. But when was the last time you reflected on God, that he has so impacted you that you even shed a tear. Many believers openly confess that they have STD. That is, they say, I'm sick and tired disease. They're sick and tired of doing that, and they're sick and tired of doing this. They just STD right out. But they say that with such comfort. They also suffer from COPD, as I mentioned earlier, but not this time. It has nothing to do with some your, your, your lungs. This is certainly the commission omission paralysis disease. Take that. 
They are paralyzed when it comes to going. The cure is, of course, for all of this, is you, cure is a UFO. You need to be unselfish. I believe it's the fundamental basis of all of the issues we have. We have not been focusing on others. We have been focusing on ourselves. And so if we need to get rid of unselfishness, we need to forgive one another, and we need to be obedient to the Word of God. If we are unselfish, if we are forgiving, if we are obedient to the Word of God, it will cure those illnesses, those things that cause us to become sick. And so it is my prayer for you, my brothers and sisters, today, that we allow ourselves to be touched by this God who we said is still alive. Still alive. I'll ask you then to please pause with me as we go before this one who is still alive in our closing prayer. Our Father, to this assembly you have shown your good hand of mercy and grace decades after decades. And here we are, 53 plus years removed from that beginning point in history. Many lives have been affected. Many persons have stood in the forefront and the vanguard of the various ministries here at Calvary. And Lord, here we are, and there are still some among us whom we are so thankful for. And again, we thank you for your faithfulness towards them. We pray for your sustained grace and mercy and provision for them as well. But now unto you, Father, who is able to keep us from stumbling and able to keep us from getting sick, able to keep us from dying, able to present us faultless, able to present us to before you healthy, before the presence of your glory, and to do so with great joy, able to touch us once again, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power always from all eternity past, now, and forevermore. And all of God's peculiar people said, Amen. Amen.